begin a three-part series called The Carols of Christmas. Um, I hope you're not disappointed. We're not going to talk about Frosty. We're not going to talk about Rudolph. Uh, Dennis came in this morning and said, I'm really anxious to see what text you use for uh, Grandma Got Run Over by the... Um, uh, no, no, no. These are the traditional carols of Christmas that we uh, sing. We sing them every year, and we enjoy them, uh, but sometimes we don't understand the deeper meaning. So today I want to start this series, and if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 52. That won't be the only scripture, but I want to remind you also we are transitioning from version to wfa.church slash live stream. So if you're looking for our sermon notes, they're not going to be on version today. You need to go on to our website. And by the way, if you are here this morning for the first time, we welcome you. And uh, there's a QR code that you can scan. You'll find it there uh, on the back of the chair, and it'll give you some information about, about the church. I want to talk today about... Uh, the hymn or the carol or the song, whatever you want to call it, go tell it on the mountain. Go tell it on the mountain. Now, we don't know who wrote Go Tell It on the Mountain. We don't know specifically who wrote it. We do know that it was what we would call a slave song. It was likely composed between about 1840 and 1850, someplace in that decade, composed in the South. The way it's written, the, the melody, the, the message of the song definitely points to that era where uh, so many of our dear friends and brothers and sisters were in slavery in the South here in our own country. And the songwriter wrote this song in those circumstances. So I want you to keep that in mind. That was the lens when they wrote, while shepherds kept their watching over silent flocks by night, behold, throughout the heavens there shone a holy light. What is our response to that holy light? What is that response to when peace comes into a conflicted individual? When salvation, forgiveness of sins comes into our guilt and our shame? Well, our response should be what the songwriter says, go tell it on the mountains and over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. Jesus is the hope of the world. Man, you, all of you should have said amen. Let's try it again. I know it's early. Jesus is the hope of the world. <laughs> the song goes on to say, The shepherds feared and trembled when low above the earth rang out the angel chorus that hailed our Savior's birth. Down in a lowly manger, the humble Christ was born, and God sent us salvation that blessed Christmas morn. And then it says, he made me a watchman, and we'll talk about that in a moment. He made me a watchman upon the city wall, and if I am a Christian, I am the least of all. Go tell it on the mountains, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountains that Jesus Christ is born. Now, it's very obvious that this song is based upon two primary 
uh, pieces of Scripture. And the first is Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7. Uh, And then, obviously, it refers to the shepherds in the field, and it refers to the birth of Christ as recorded in Luke chapter 2. But first, I want us to read in Isaiah chapter 52. This is where the prophet, the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, foretells a day when the good news of the Messiah will be announced. And he says in verse number 7, or um, yeah, uh, Isaiah 52, verse number 7, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. And I'm here to suggest to you today, if there's ever a time in our world, ever a time in our nation, ever a time in our community, the people need to hear the good news (laughs) of peace, of salvation, that God is in control, it's today in 2020. So this song, Go Tell It on the Mountains, is very relevant to where we are today in our life. The writer of the carol says, go, tell it. Tell this good news. Shout it from the mountaintops. Look to the mountaintops. Shout it from the the city walls. And I'll talk about that imagery in a moment. But I want you to notice that Paul, the Apostle Paul, uses the same text, Isaiah chapter 52, as his text or his foundation to establish what we would call within the church the Great Commission. Paul says, as Christians, we have a mission. And that mission is what? Well, let's look at it. Romans chapter 10. This is the connection, and maybe you've never seen this. There's a connection between Isaiah, go tell it on the mountains, <laughs> and the Great Commission that you and I are to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's why here at Wenatchee First Assembly, we don't limit the gospel to this building or to our community or to our state. That's why we support over 50 other ministries and missionaries around the world because we take this seriously. In Romans chapter number 10, beginning with verse 14, we read these words. But how are they to call on him to whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? And then Paul says, as it is written, and he quotes the scripture we just read in Isaiah, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So this song, Go Tell It on the Mountains, connects the Christmas story to the Great Commission. And I want to talk about how The Great Commission is not just for missionaries, it's for you and I. Three things about this good news I want to 
share with you this morning. The first is to whom the good news comes. Secondly is what the good news will bring. And thirdly, where the good news sends. So those are my three points today. Notice the song says, the message came first to the shepherds. While shepherds kept their watching over silent flocks by night, behold, throughout the heavens there shone a holy light. The shepherds. Let's talk about the shepherds for a moment. That slave back in the 1800s who wrote this song fell compelled to the story of the shepherds. And that's not surprising because there's a lot of similarities between the slaves of 1840-1850 and the shepherds of the New Testament era. Shepherds were considered to be the lowest class of people in Jewish society. Sometimes, you know, particularly I think in, in the Western world, which would include the U.S., we've almost romanticized <laughs> the version of the nativity. You know, we see these good-looking, strapping men in really cool outfits, you know, with sashes and bandanas, and they're these cool-looking shepherds. And we think, oh, that must have been the style back then in the first century. And they have a glow on their face. And, but basically, that's wrong. Shepherds during this era were basically homeless people. Now think about that for a moment. The people who slept under the bridge in South Wenatchee last night. The homeless people. Those who tried to keep warm. Those who had no place to go. I think safely we can say that was kind of like being a shepherd back in this day. Shepherding was the most, or I should say the least, (laughs) desirable job. It was the ultimate unskilled labor position. If you didn't have a skill, if you didn't have education, if you didn't have any uh, talent or ability, well, let's just say you had to watch shepherd, uh, sheep. Anybody can do that. In fact, that's why they often gave it to kids. Ever wonder why he says shepherd boy? Because a boy could handle it. Now, when you were a grown man, being a shepherd pretty much meant life fail. I mean, you know, at a party, at a Christmas party, if someone comes up to you and says, oh, good to see you. What is your son doing nowadays? No one wanted to answer, well, um, he's a shepherd. No. I mean, that would be equivalent to today to say, you know, oh, well, I've got a 36-year-old son, and he's doing well. He just pretty much stays in the basement watching video games, you know. You know? And shepherds were always dirty. You smelled them before you saw them. Seriously. They stayed outside with the animals for weeks at a time, sleeping outside underneath the stars. They weren't considered respectable citizens. Just think about this. From a religious lens, because they had to work seven days a week, they weren't even able to come to the temple to worship. Couldn't keep the Sabbath like everyone else. Shepherds were so low in society 
their testimony was not accepted in a court of law. So needless to say, (laughs) the shepherds would not be the typical candidates to receive the first announcement that the Messiah is about ready to be born. I mean, when someone wants to make an important announcement in our culture, it's a staged event. Boy, they have it someplace glitzy and glamorous, and it's, it's a big deal. You stage an announcement like that. You don't go down into the subways and find the homeless people and say, oh, by the way, I've got something important to tell you. That's not how it's done in our society. Why choose the shepherds to receive this message first? Think about that for a moment. Why choose shepherds? Why did the slave that wrote that song emphasize the shepherds? Well, there was empathy, there was connection. But I want to propose to you it's to demonstrate from the very inception on earth the nature of the gospel. The gospel's for everyone. In coming to the shepherds, God reached to those everybody considered to be on the bottom. Showing that there was nobody too broken. There's nobody too poor. There's nobody too insignificant for God's kingdom. If you're here this morning, you've always felt maybe you're not worthy enough. Or maybe you're watching online. And you say, oh yeah, that gospel's great. You know, for those people who dress up nice and go to church every Sunday and keep the Ten Commandments and do all that. No, the gospel's for you. The gospel's for the shepherds. The gospel's for the slaves. The gospel's for the homeless. The gospel is for everyone. In fact, sometimes when I'm reading the Bible, I think, man, it almost is like God favors the poor and the broken. Now, God cares for the rich, You can be a billionaire living down in, you know, some mansion in Los Angeles. God cares about those people as much as he does the homeless. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth. But it seems like in the scripture he prefers the poor. Even the people Jesus hung out with were not the religious people of the day. It was the tax collectors and the prostitutes and those that were kind of considered out of the group, out of the loop. And I thought about that this week. Why would that be? And then I thought about a discussion I had a few weeks ago with uh, a wonderful pastor who pastors a church over in East Wenatchee. And we were talking about why we don't see more miracles. And both of us have traveled overseas quite a bit and man you see healings and you see miracles and and you see blind eyes opened much more frequently in third world countries than you do here (laughs) well that's kind of the essence of it you see people who are broken and poor and shepherds and slaves people who admit their sinfulness That's why Advent's so important. 
John the Baptist saying, what do you need to do? You need to repent. We have to understand how desperate we are for God. And it's harder for us to do that when we have medicine easily accessible. When we have funds to take care of our bills. Those who are rich in money often feel like, well, I'm, I'm secure. Those who are rich in talent feel like, well, all they need is, is other people's approval. Those who are rich in moral goodness sometimes can fool themselves. They feel respectable. Well, I've kept the Ten Commandments. It's not enough to keep commandments. It's not enough to be a good moral person. It's about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. See, that sense of self-sufficiency, I have it, you have it, let's be honest. <laughs> this sense of self-sufficiency or, or respectability, though, is an illusion. One small microscopic bacteria entering your body can change everything about your life. One phone call telling you there's been a car accident and you need to get to ER immediately because it doesn't look like your loved one's going to survive. can change your life in an instant. One unexpected summons to your boss's office about a corporate downsizing can ruin all your financial goals for that coming year. And friends, I remember so often Pastor Bob, I don't know if it was one of his favorite scriptures, but he often talked about James saying it's important to look into the Word of God because the look of, Word of God is a mirror. Remember how he talked about the lavashing of the Word? and The reason we need to be in the Word, it's a mirror. It shows us who we really are. See, we can tend to feel pretty good about ourselves. Man, I haven't taken the Lord's name in vain. I haven't cheated anybody. I haven't murdered anyone. I haven't cheated on my wife. I haven't done this. I haven't done that. And we get self-righteous. That's why the Bible says we need to look into the Word of God because the Word of God brings us back to the reality that we are all sinners in the need of God's grace. So important. Sometimes I catch myself comparing myself to other people. And I either get really prideful or I go into depression. You know, it kind of takes you one way or the other, doesn't it? Little things. I was reading an article about the Civil War. One of the, the generals of the Civil War, and I can't remember what side he was on, it doesn't matter, but he, he fought many battles, and he, he won these great military victories, and he ended up dying of a tick bite. And I was thinking, man, this great, brave Civil War general, and what wipes him out? A tick bite. And sometimes that's what happens to us. These little things. Jesus says that we have to be so surrendered to him that if he were to say, sell everything you have, <laughs> that we would just do it without a second thought. I'm not sure that's who I am yet in my life. 
I don't know about you. The Bible says that someone steals my jacket. I'm supposed to say, oh, by the way, why don't I give you my sweatshirt too so you'll be warm? Is that how I react to a thief in my life? Absolutely not. The bar is high for us. If we look into the Word of God, See, underneath all of our religious makeup, there's a dark-hearted sinner without the Holy Spirit, without Jesus, without that fresh dependency upon God. That's why I love the Jesus prayer. The Orthodox use it, you know, just uh, not just often. It is a very central part of their belief, the Jesus prayer. The one that's found in the Gospels where... (laughs) The religious guy is reminding God of all the good works and all the things he's done. And and then there's a guy out on the street who won't even look up to heaven. He's so humble. He's looking down and he's beating his breast and he's saying, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. During this Advent season, as we look at this carol, Go Tell on the Mountain, I want us to realize who we are without Jesus. Now, I've preached a lot about who we are with Jesus. We are victorious. Man, we have the riches of heaven open. We, I understand all that. But during Advent, it's a good time for us to prepare our heart for why we need the birth of a Savior. What would your life be without Jesus? I remember 30 years ago, I used to love to quote out of Philippians 4, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It's a good scripture, nothing wrong with that. But 30 years of ministry, boy, my perception has changed. I I don't quote that so much anymore. I quote John 15 that says, Lord, without you, I can do nothing. (laughs) Without you. I can do absolutely nothing. We can't be good enough to earn God's favor. It's a gift. It's a gift. Shepherds and slaves like the one that wrote Go Tell on the Mountain are in a more natural position to know that they need the grace of God. But friends, we all need salvation. But for some of us, we need the heart of a slave or the heart of a shepherd this morning. That's who the good news comes to, everyone. Now, what is the good news? What does the good news bring to us? Well, back to our song, our carol, and like many Negro spirituals of this era, the song will focus on God's promises of relief from their sufferings. Man, almost all those Negro spirituals, they acknowledged their suffering, their slavery, but they also had hope that there was a day coming that they would be delivered based upon God's promises. Because as slaves, man, they lived in a terrible world. But they knew the birth of Jesus was bringing about a new world in which sin and suffering and slave masters would no longer reign over them. Think about, again, our text today. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of them who brings good news, 
who publishes peace and brings good news of happiness. Your God reigns. Next week, we're going to look at the carol, Joy to the World. I'll give you just a little sneak preview. That song talks about how Christmas declares that sin and death and the curse don't have the last word in the world. That song was written by a man in the midst of such intense suffering. I had no idea the suffering that man was in when he wrote, hey, as far as the curse is found, I can say joy to the world because the Lord has come. The Savior has come to reverse the curse wherever it's found. For some of us, it's shame, shame of our past. Maybe not our past 10 years ago, maybe of our past yesterday. (laughs) But there's shame there. For some people, it's injustice and abuse that you've endured from parents or an uncle or a spouse. Maybe it's a broken family. The curse has affected us all, but the good news is it's temporary. Whatever we're going through is temporary. Jesus promises to reverse all the effects of sin. In my humble opinion, I don't think we talk about that aspect of the gospel enough. We talk about salvation, you know, being uh, available for the forgiveness of sins, and that's part of the gospel, but you know, there's much more to the gospel than that. It's also about healing. It's about reversing the curse. We see it all through the Bible. In Revelation, we see about the new heavens and the new earth. It's going to be new. It's going to be different. It says the old heavens and the old earth are passed away. And whatever is cursed on earth is going to be redeemed in the new earth and the new heaven. We say it as we recite the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And someday the Bible says that truly heaven will come to earth. It says the new Jerusalem will come down from heaven and there'll be a new earth. And Jesus will rule and reign. That is part of that good news of the gospel. And we need to remember that. It's not just about the forgiveness of sin. It's also that the curse will be reversed. Third thing I want to share with you this morning is where the good news sends. And this is really the practical application of this. This Christian brother, or maybe it was a Christian sister, I don't know who wrote, go tell it on the mountain. But listen to these words. Go tell this everywhere. If the good news really means that there is no one too lowly, too broken, too alienated for God to pursue, if there's no one too insignificant for God to touch, no one too guilty 
that God will forsake them. No one too broken that God can't heal them. So lost that God cannot find them. If that truly is the good news, then our response is we need to go and tell. Tell our neighbor. Tell our families. I'm not talking about, you know, twisting their arm. I'm not talking about being obnoxious. I'm just talking about sharing your story about what God has done in your life. That's so important. I know that in this day and age, people want to, you know, have marketing strategies, and they want programs, and they want this and that. And I look back at the Scripture, and the church was built when you and I as Christians would just share our faith with other people. I mean, we could spend thousands of dollars on programs and outreach and bringing in people and putting up billboards. And and there's a place, I guess, for all that. But really, the way the gospel is supposed to be shared is one-on-one. When we say, go tell on the mountain, we're reminding ourselves. I love some of the testimonies of people of this congregation that I see via Facebook. People who have struggled and God has helped them. And they have shared publicly. They've been transparent and said, this is where I'm at, but with the help of God, this is where I am. And I think that's it. You're sharing the good news of Jesus. See, it's not a complicated thing. You don't, sometimes we think, oh, it's, we got to know the four spiritual laws. You got to know this. You got to know that. No, you just tell people what you know, what Jesus has done for you. Now, before I end today, I want to explain that mountain imagery, because this is really cool, I think, anyway. You know, I talked about being a watchman on the mountain. In these days that this was written, Isaiah, Old Testament, most cities in the Middle East were actually settled between mountains. You go over to Israel even today, you'll notice that. Most cities are not on a mountain, they're in the valley, they're between the mountains. I remember years ago, when I uh, did the funeral for uh, uh, Ambro, Ambro uh, and Ramon were such great people, and some of you remember them, but they loved the Holy Land. And I remember showing slides on the screen during Ambro's funeral service about Israel because he loved it and how, how Israel had the mountains that surrounded them. And I think that's important for us to remember as we look at this, that if you're in a valley, in a city, and you're waiting for good news, where are you going to look? You look up to the mountains, because the good news, the messenger, is going to come from the mountains. And we see that all through the scripture. Psalm says, I look to the mountains from where does my help comes from? comes from the Lord. We understand that. But the imagery is because if you wanted to if you wanted to to see the messenger that was coming, you would look up to the mountains. You'd look toward the hills. And the cool thing is the messenger 
if they were carrying some kind of a flag, you knew that you had won the battle. So you could look up and see a guy waving a flag and say, hey, our army won the battle. They're on the way home. We have victory. Simply because of the flag that was being waved on the mountain by the messenger. And the first people who would see the messenger, the first people who would see the flag would be the city watchmen. That's the connection there. See, the city watchmen were stationed on the towers on the walls of the city. So the wall around the city, there were towers, there were watchmen in the towers. The watchmen were to do what? They were to look up into the mountains to see the messengers. They were the first ones. That's why the writer of this hymn, Go Tell It on the Mountain, uses that imagery of being a watchman. He made me a watchman upon the city wall. And friends, God has made you a watchman. God's made me a watchman. We know the good news. Who are we going to share with? You see, Isaiah imagines groups of people scattered all over the world. Different cities, situations, classes, waiting, overwhelmed and oppressed by the curse. Scared of death, without hope. But God has a messenger to say, hey, the battle's over. Jesus has won the victory. He was born. He went to the cross. He conquered death when he came out of the tomb. Jesus can give you salvation. Jesus can give you peace. And there is no group anywhere, no matter how broken, no matter how lost, surrounded by whatever mountains of oppression, Mountains of pain, mountains of sin, mountains of debt, whatever it is. That we can't break through as a messenger with the flag of victory and say, we have good news. We are here. We're called. If you read through the scriptures for Advent, particularly today and in the days ahead, you'll read a lot about John the Baptist because he was exactly this kind of guy. And he represents the kind of person we should be. We should be proclaiming, look, the Lamb of God, Jesus, who takes away the sins of the world. All of us are called. It's not a matter of calling. I'm telling you today, church, you have a calling. The question is, will you be obedient to go tell it on the mountain? Who can you share with this week? Maybe a neighbor. Maybe a family member. Maybe someone you'll just be chatting with at line when you're at the store. I don't know. I just know we can make a significant impact for the kingdom. If every one of us watching online, every one of us in this auditorium today would say, I will be that watchman. I will tell someone this week what Jesus means to me, what this season is really all about. I want you to know that each one of you has a part (laughs) Not all of you are called to the homeless. Not all of you are called to the Philippines. Not all of you are called to, you know, 
work with students in Germany or whatever. But all of us are called to share this great news. Who are you telling? Who are you telling? Would you bow your head, close your eyes for just a moment of reflection? I believe the Lord can soften our hearts today. Sometimes fear, sometimes pride, sometimes embarrassment gets in our way of sharing our faith. But if we want the kingdom to grow, if we want our church to grow, it's not going to be through programs or marketing or anything else. It's going to be through you and I saying, yes, Lord, I will go, I will tell. I'll be like John the Baptist, the forerunner of sharing good news. Lord Jesus, today I pray that you will help each of us to either identify someone in our life or in our neighborhood, or at least be open to maybe a random person that we will encounter this week. Not to try to get them to say a certain prayer, or not even to twist their arm to come to church, but simply to share what Jesus means to us personally. And Lord, help us take advantage of this season. People are so open to you. Perhaps someone would accept an invitation to come on Christmas Sunday and receive communion with us. Perhaps someone would, Lord, accept that invitation to, to watch a, a video on the nativity. Lord, give us creativity. But Lord, help us to realize without you, we are nothing. We are sinners without any hope. But with you, we have been anointed and ordained to be messengers. Help us, Lord, to be faithful in sharing the good news of Jesus this Christmas season.